0: I'm Carrie Brett and this is Shot at Love. Today's topic is moving on. Moving on is a time to level up and learn how to create the life we want and truly go for it. Michelle Dempsey-Multak knows all about moving on. She's written a book about it and hosts the podcast, Mom's Moving On, sharing her advice as a divorce and co-parenting specialist you can embrace this time and realize nothing is holding you back. It's time to decide what we want to change while consciously choosing to build a better life for ourselves. Michelle will share how she found beauty in a situation that almost broke her and why your cup isn't half full or half empty. It's refillable because loss leaves you in a place to be filled up with all good things. And why, damn it, it feels so good to be moving on. You won't want to miss it, so stay tuned. Michelle dempsey Multak is a writer, mom, coach, speaker, and genuine girl power enthusiast. Michelle attended American University as a journalism major, graduated from Hofstra's communications program with a bachelor's degree in communications and then earned a double master's degree in education from Adelphi University. Originally from New York, Michelle moved to Miami in her late 20s where the second part of her life began. She married her daughter's father, got divorced and years later remarried and lives in North Miami Beach raising a beautiful blended family. She's been featured in Us Weekly, Parents Magazine, Scary Mommy, Forbes, Elite Daily, Ocean Drive, HuffPost, and NBC, to name a few. Today, Michelle will share her wisdom and her life experience that will help anyone in the process of moving on. So without further ado, welcome, Michelle Dempsey-Multak. Hi, Michelle.
1: Hi, thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks so much for being here. I'm so inspired by your story. I just love how open and honest you are about how you did it and learned to stand on your own. And- it was not easy. So take us back to the time in your life. You were living in New York, and you seemed to have your career figured out, but your personal life was kind of a mess.
1: Everything, everything was a mess. Personal life, career, me, the people in my life that I allowed to get close to me, it was all a hot mess.
0: So you talk about this time being like the hot mess express, and you were dating one toxic guy after the other, and you tried to sneak out. That story is like so powerful, how you tried to leave an ex and everything was pulling you to just go. That was your inner knowing. That was the first lesson in your, I've got to go. But you also learned that things happen for a reason, as painful and as hard as it was at that time. Tell me what that time looked like.
1: I was sort of lost and not in like the you know, running through fields, doing peyote kind of way, but more just, I wasn't grounded to anything. I had no attachments. I don't have a relationship with my biological father. My family was kind of all over the place at that point. Some people in Miami, some back and forth between New York and Miami. And my mom had just moved full time down to Miami from New York. So I was just kind of like, I don't know, manning my own ship and the ship really had no direction. I was dating somebody who was terribly toxic for me. It was horrible. There were 8,000 red flags in the beginning. I mean, it's embarrassing to even share that I fell for this, but I did. I let it really take over my life, this relationship and my career. I walked away from my teaching career. I was working for, for the New York City Department of Education at that time. I was so stressed out in this relationship that I... Could not do my job and I resigned. I regret it, but I don't because, you know, obviously it led me to where I am now. But the fact that, like, the relationship led me to that and I still didn't see clearly was so horrible. So, three months after that happened, things just got worse and worse. Kept trying to break up with this person, kept getting pulled back in. And I know you know what that's like. I'm sure everybody who's listening has been there. And there was one night where somehow I ended up. At his house, and I, I remember like thinking to myself, "This is it. Like I can't keep doing this. This is ridiculous." Like we had been through so much in a year that was so horrible. He had messed up my credit, taken money, like lied about so many things. And so I'm at his house, and it was like one o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, "I can't be here. I gotta go." And I like started to like get out of bed to leave. He's like, "You're not going anywhere. Like you don't even know where your keys are." And I was like, oh, "Okay, so." go to sleep, but not really sleep. And then first thing in the morning, I wake up and it was like, something told me where my keys were. Like I just knew I didn't even like go to the bathroom, change my clothes. Like I got my keys and it was like a force was pushing me out the back door of his house. And I got in my car and it was a beautiful day. Everyone assumes because I was in New York and I had, you know, this accident that the weather must've been bad, but like not a cloud in the sky, great weather driving, home to my apartment. And as I'm turning onto my block, I get into this like giant head-on collision and I broke like enough from the neck down that I was in bed for the next four months. It was awful. So no career, now no man, no car, can't even walk. My mom had to move back up to New York to live with me, to like literally help me brush my teeth and get in the bath. It was quite a humbling experience. And it was in those four months where I was like, you know what, this shit's got to stop and I need to get it together. So like anyone who thinks, you know, running away from their problems would help. I got better, jumped on a plane, moved down to Miami and quote unquote started fresh. But like my favorite Siesto song says you could travel the world, but you can't run away from the person you are in your heart. Moved to Miami, Three months later, I meet my now ex-husband. Three months after that, we're engaged. Eight months after that, we're married. And we were pregnant before I think we were even together for a year. Wonderful person. So not the person for me. So we ended up divorced three years after we got married.
0: So you knew at the time you walked down the aisle that you would get divorced, but you gave it your all to make it work. You
1: know, it was like this... This feeling of like, I kind of knew it wasn't right, but I loved him and he was great. So I figured if I love him and he's a good person, it's got to work out, right? We'll figure it out. And, and that I think so many people make that mistake. It's like, this person's good on paper. We have chemistry. It's got to work out. And it didn't. And I kind of knew that we didn't have enough in place to anchor us to each other for this to even work out, you know? And and when they say like love isn't enough, it just wasn't.
0: But you were willing to look at it and take the steps to make yourself happy. And you did. And you got a new place. You didn't have your book. You didn't know what you were doing, but you were willing to trust the rest to the universe. And I loved that. How did you just know you'd be okay?
1: I think I knew I'd be okay because at that point, Getting divorced did not seem like the worst thing to me. I had been through so much more in my life. I mean, if we had more time, we would have gone through my whole childhood. But clearly enough happened in my childhood where I ended up being a person in my 20s making relationship choices like I was making, right? Like the trauma led me to that and unhealthy attachments and all that sort of thing. From all the things I had been through, I always landed on my feet. That's something that I'm really proud of about myself is that I never, no matter what I go through, I'm not sitting there in pity for myself or feeling like a victim. I'm strategizing my next move. I like that. always looking forward. So for me, it's like, oh, well, I've been through worse. I'll survive divorce. But that was my mindset. And it was a lot harder than I'm making it seem right. I didn't think through all of the things that were going to be hard. Right. It's not just like the splitting up of two people. There was so much more beyond that. All rooted in co parenting, really. Like I had a two year old, and now I'm sharing my two year old with somebody who I don't get along with and who I don't necessarily like or trust in the beginning of a separation. And so that nothing prepared me for that. I mean, that was like a bucket of cold water to the face every day for so long. My mom was a great example for me. She was a single parent with far less resources. And less support than I had. And she made it work and did it beautifully. So I I knew I was gonna come through it okay.
0: Well, you talk about how you let the world know that you're divorced and not to feel sorry for you. And your mom was a great example. And I've never heard anyone who specializes in divorce talk about the friendships and the flockers and the fleers. I loved that. That's so true. The line is drawn in sand. A lot of people go away. A lot of people don't know what to do with you. And then the people come out of the woodwork who have been through it. Can you talk about this a little bit?
1: The changes in friendships, I think... It was especially hard for me because I was still I I wasn't born and raised in Miami, but now I had a life here. I have a daughter. I had only been in Miami for four years by the time I got separated. Like I had friends, but not my lifers, not the people I grew up with, not my New York friends who have definitely a different sense of loyalty than um, the people I was friends with at the time when I got separated. That was almost harder for me because I didn't feel supported. I really didn't. Like everyone said, oh my God, I'm so sorry if you need anything. But it never went past that. It never went like to the place that I needed it to. Like, hey, you're alone this weekend without Bella. Listen, I'm doing this or I'm running errands. Why don't you come with me? Or even though I'm with the kids, come over. I didn't get any of that. And I spent so much time alone, more angry at the people who were not there for me than I was even at my ex-husband. And that that was really hard for me. Yeah. And then the other part of that was, random people came out of the woodwork and latched on very quickly. And I thought I was like finding these great friends to help me through when really it was one of those misery loves company things. Like the two people I'm thinking of were both deeply miserable in their lives and still probably are. And the second I sort of came out of that dark place and started finding my happiness again and started dating my now husband it was like they disappeared, one with such malice towards me, I still don't understand. And so that's where, like, I coined the term the flockers and the fleers, like you're going to have the people who flee, like mm-hmm. they want nothing to do with you, either because your truth makes them so uncomfortable because they're scared of their own marriages or what could happen. And then there's the, the people who flock to you, either to make themselves feel better about their own lives or because they thrive on drama and gossip. And it's really important to be discerning especially at this time, because you you can't you don't have space for bad energy and bad friends. Right.
0: And you don't need any more betrayal or any more drama. No. And I thought that piece of advice was so excellent from your book, because beware of friends who are too hooked in, because misery loves company. And your divorce or your breakup should be the center of your universe. But when it becomes the center of your friend's universe is because they're harboring their own
1: hearts. Absolutely. And it's weird and it should be a red flag for you, for sure. Yeah. There's a happy medium. A supportive friend who is not like, you know, calling you first thing in the morning to hear every last detail of what your ex said the night before. But someone who's there and gives you your space to heal, but you know you can count on. You know, everybody, even if you're not going through a divorce, you know you have those people you call in the middle of the night for something who will always be there. Those are the ones that like, you need to invest your time and energy into, especially when you're at a dark place in your life, because everyone else outside of that kind of doesn't matter. Right,
0: because it's so hard to move on and start to create a new life that you have to do away with other people's projections and opinions. And the opinions about your life and your new choices is only going to weigh you down.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you're worried about that, how are you going to focus on taking care of your kids, being a single mom, getting through the divorce process, getting back on your feet. Like you only have so much energy, you know? It's true. It's an Olympic sport
0: <laughs> that you said in the book. <laughs> it is. I mean, I don't know how I did it, but you talk about the rage. And I thought this was so good. This like hate and the rage that comes from being forced to pick up the pieces by yourself. And the deeper the love, the deeper the hate, and the hate will destroy you. It's normal, but you figured out that having negative feelings in your heart was totally counterproductive when moving on. This is a big obstacle for many in the process of moving on. What would your advice be for this?
1: So I don't want the the misconception to be that you can't have negative feelings. Like you're going to have them, you have to have them and you have to feel them to move through them. But there's a time and a place. I'm a very big feeler. I am not the person who can like compartmentalize. Like if I, have a triggering phone call with somebody that mood is going to bleed out onto everything. So I found that I needed to either separate myself from the things that were going to make me feel really shitty and have like a specific time for them. Let's say, you know, every time your ex texts you, you get triggered and And now you feel like shit and you're pulled into this hole and the rest of your day is unproductive. Well, then don't check the messages, like wait until a certain time of day where you could separate yourself and allow for the time and the space and say, okay, I'm only going to give myself 30 minutes to wallow today because I can't, I can't do this all day. Having a fallback plan for your emotions, which is something I work on with my clients, all the time is like, all right, so when I'm so angry, I am seeing red and I want to throw things at the wall. Here's what I know I need to do to make myself feel better. I got to move my body. I got to get outside, take a walk, go to a workout class, do a few jumping jacks, something to, to move that anger through my body. If I'm sad, like deeply sad and I just can't function, I know I am going to You know, fill in the blank. What am I going to do to pull myself through that? So I can honor those feelings, but I can also move through them and get back to what I need to be
0: doing. One of your big tips or tools that helped you was to journal. And I think when you don't know what end is up and you're totally enraged and the emotion clouds your judgment, you sit down and you write a letter and you detail every inch of your ugliest thoughts and then you go for a walk. I love that.
1: Yeah. The journaling is a practice that has helped me my entire life. Writing helps me express so much. Clearly, obviously I wrote a book, but I know it's not for everyone. When after my car accident, those four months in bed, like journaling was all I did. I wrote and I wrote and I made promises to myself and I wrote about my fears and I wrote about what I wanted for the future. And sometimes when I'm like having a bad day or I'm just like, I don't know, a little down, I'll read that particular journal. And see how much I made happen for myself. And it's so rewarding. And so sometimes journaling, you know, it doesn't have to be a manifesto. It could be like a few bullet points of how you're feeling and how you want to feel the next day. Or maybe it's a list of reminders of why you had to leave this person to be okay.
0: I like that. Or the list of what promises am I going to make myself to not pull in these people who are toxic and make me feel bad. Exactly. And you talk about gaslighting in your book. And I thought that was really good because gaslighting makes you question everything that you believed happened. That's when you get in the crazy point where you're like, wait a minute, (laughs) how can I trust myself? How do you trust your inner voice again after someone's gaslighting you or causing you to be so angry?
1: I think that's where therapy is really helpful because While coaching definitely helps you through the divorce and co-parenting process in its own way, I think you have to look at unraveling some things from your past that maybe led you into a space where being gaslit was acceptable to you, or, you know, maybe it's clouded your judgment so much that you can't see outside of it. You need someone to help you unravel that. But, you know, gaslighting happens all the time. I think I'm the biggest (laughs) victim of gaslighting myself, to be honest, but it's an overused term. And I think... It's been exploited a bit on social media. But that being said, you know, learning to trust yourself again is such a big part of the moving on process. And you you have to like learn by doing like you can't read a book that's going to help you trust yourself again or read an inspirational quote like you really have to start making decisions led by your gut to prove that you know yourself and that you can make the right decisions and that nobody is more deserving of your trust than you are. So when
0: you could journal and you could put everything you knew to be true, you had that proof on paper that you were in the right, that you can trust yourself and that you'll be okay. And that was really invaluable, I think. And take a look at yourself, like where were you in the equation that you were the nurturer, the person who was the people pleaser, the fixer. How did you really make that conscious decision to move away from guys who made you question your whole existence?
1: I think it was really, I mean, the minute I looked at my daughter when she was born, I i realized that I had no choice but to set a standard for her and how she would want to be treated one day. And I had to stop attaching just out of fear of being alone. I think that was something that I did a lot, you know, abandonment trauma and all those sorts of things will lead you down that path. But for me, it was like, OK, I need to be secure enough in myself and stand on my own two feet so I can teach my daughter to do the same. And if I happen to meet somebody amazing, great. But like the, the example for her is we don't settle and we don't let people treat us for less than we're worth. And that's a conversation we have all the time. She's eight years old, and and when it comes to friendships and how people treat her at school and all the little nuances of her little eight-year-old life, like that is the message.
0: How great would it be to find the love of your life, the man of your dreams? Do you believe online dating would work if you had the right tools to be successful? Well, I have exciting news. I've created your Best Shot at Love Masterclass. I cannot wait to share with you what's worked for me in my life and for many of my clients that have helped over the years. If you enroll in this class, you have a winning mindset and believe in getting help before you start something new. If you're ready to see changes in your dating life and want to take action, check out my free. Webinar at shot at love.co. If you decide you're going to choose another path that you're worth it and you're willing to enroll in the masterclass, you can also register at shot at love.co. I designed this masterclass specifically for you to be successful. Please know that everything you're going to learn in these nine modules and six coaching calls has been carefully curated for you so you can gain the success you truly want. I will be there for you the whole time. In the meantime, I wish you all the success, and I can't wait to hear about your story of finding love. I'm Carrie Brett, and I will be your mentor and friend through this incredible journey. Isn't it interesting how being a single mom kind of was the saving grace for you at that time? I felt that same way. It's a lot easier to fight for your child than it is to fight for yourself. For sure. It's true. So. I love the story about you and your daughter because you were like, I'm going to set up this little townhouse and I'm going to make our life special and great. And it was difficult when you didn't have her, but you changed your mindset and you shifted from feeling lonely to being excited about having extra time. That's really powerful.
1: First of all, I loved that townhouse. So everyone always gets so scared to like leave the marital home or not have the marital home anymore because they think like it's consistent for the kids or they're attached to the emotions in the house. That was not me. I sold the marital home and I was like, I wanted like a clean slate through and through. And so I rented this little townhouse that was a fraction of the size of the house I had been living in. And to this day, like I have such happy memories there with Bella that it makes me smile. Like we were, it was just the two of us. We decorated it. Like, you know, I I went to home goods, I got everything pink and gold and girly and empowering. And it was just such a happy space for us, like dance parties in my bedroom. And she would sleep in bed with me a lot. And she was potty trained there and like so many good memories. And when I didn't have her the first you know, a couple of months, I I felt like I was going to die a lot of that time. Mm -hmm. I I didn't start truly co-parenting her until a couple of months after my ex and I split. And like the dust had settled, that's when we started overnights. And around that time, I also met my now husband. So I had a bit of a distraction, but I was very adamant about not spending time with him when he was with his daughter, because I wanted them to have their alone time. So I was alone many Saturday nights, many Friday nights, even before I started dating him, it was rough Mm -hmm. and painful. But every morning when I woke up, like I would say to myself, Oh my God, like I survived. She survived. Everything's okay. And that's how, that's really how I got through it. And I got back to the gym and I would take walks. I live in a, I live in Miami. It's beautiful here. I'd get outside a lot. And that really helped my mindset. And so did sitting in bed a lot of nights and eating chips and watching shows like that, that was therapeutic too.
0: You mentioned in your book that there's a big difference between loneliness and alone. They're two different words. And you really did a good job at committing to your own happiness, even though you're by yourself. But you felt that if you created your version of happy, then the happily ever after would come. The marriage is just an extra you made sure that your life was complete and happy on your own. And that's so important. And you also said to stop focusing on what if and focus on what is. That is a good way for someone who's in the throes of it to repeat that. And they can also repeat, you may not have it yet, but you can work towards it.
1: The what if and the what is is really helpful for a mom who's adjusting to co-parenting because, you know, my what if was constantly that Bella was going to She was two years old at the time. She was going to wake up and cry and her dad wasn't going to hear her for whatever reason. And she was going to climb out of her crib and then get out of the apartment and then wander into oncoming traffic. That was my what if like extreme and crazy, but anyone who's ever started co-parenting a little kid, I know I'm not alone here. And so I really, I would like write down like, okay, here's my what if I'm scared of, you know, Bella doing this thing. Here's what is her dad has always been responsive to her needs He's hyper aware now with her because he's alone in the house with her. Right. And so every time she sleeps there, she comes back to me. So that's what is. And so that practice was really helpful for me. And it's helpful for anyone with anxiety about anything.
0: I love all these tips. I think you can use them in so many ways, even if you're not co-parenting. And so now you start to figure out the dating piece. And you have a section in your book called The Do's and Don'ts of Dating After Divorce. Let's talk about Google him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> I was actually telling this story to my ex-husband and his new girlfriend the other day because I, I don't know how it came up, but I didn't have a lot of experience <laughs> with dating. Right. My judgment was just so like clouded after divorce. I wasn't thinking clearly. I was caught up in the in the split. And I met this guy. I don't know, a week after my ex left the house for good and not on purpose. I was at a doctor's office. He and I started chatting and like nothing happened. I left, but then he looked me up on social media or he saw I was tagged in something from the doctor's office and sent me a DM and we started chatting. I He was so good looking. And here I am thinking, oh my God, the love of my life was waiting for me just outside of my divorce at the doctor's office. What a story. We're Chatting, texting all the time. He starts calling and like setting pictures and we're like hot and heavy and this whole thing is happening and we make plans to hang out. And I'm telling my good friend, we're out for lunch, her and I, and she's like, Oh, did you Google him? And I'm like, Oh no, I didn't even think to. And she was like, Well, you gotta Google him, Michelle. I'm like, All right, yeah, look him up. Like just don't click on his LinkedIn because then he'll know I looked, right? And so (laughs) the first thing that came up was his wedding registry. He had just gotten married about a year prior to when we met. And under that was his baby registry. And we clicked on that and saw that his baby was born a week before we met at the doctor's office. He was very much still married and a brand new parent. And I would have been doing things with him had I not Googled. So obviously, so many women that come out of divorce are like, I haven't dated in 15, 20 years. Google is your best friend. Do it. Don't hesitate. Just don't click on the LinkedIn profile.
0: There were red flags, like he had to leave the house and talk to you at another location than his house, like,
1: <laughs> but you didn't know. Yeah, he'd be like in the car at like 11 o'clock at night, like, or or like in his, I don't know, he made it seem like his garage was converted into a gym or something. I don't know. It was, it was definitely shady. <laughs> yeah. You know, there I am, like not listening to the red flag.
0: Right. But that's where the desire, because he was so good looking, clouded your judgment.
1: Yes. And I was a week out. Like I was still crying about my split.
0: Yeah. So you need to take the time to heal and take a little bit more time sometimes. Exactly. But I did it too. I mean, I think we all get there. It's messy and imperfect, but we're all trying to figure it out. And another thing you talk about is expectations and to look at a first date just as that. So talk about that.
1: The first date should really be a job interview. In my opinion. Like. I remember so many first dates from like my twenties where I'm like, Oh my God, I hope he likes me. Like this, the first date should really be like a, I hope this guy is good enough for me. Like the first date shouldn't even be a date. It should be like a screening, right? Like I hope this person or is this person good enough for me to even consider dating. That's what the first date should be. It shouldn't be like, Oh my God, you know, we have chemistry, we're getting married. And I think I've made that mistake so many times. And also I think, you know, you should, not be shy after divorce i think you give way less fucks anyway but not be shy to like lay your cards on the table and ask them what their plans or intentions are for their future like are they just dating to date or do they want something serious in the future do they want kids because hey i have kids and i may want more like those are you need to like flesh that out in the beginning right i know like i like that just be honest be
0: super honest put it out there you're better off to do that And I love you told the the story about the bodysuit and like feeling good about yourself. And even if it was just wearing something and going out with a friend, like you have to feel your own worth first before you can pull in somebody great. And the one thing that you talked about is that you have to lose the I can't survive without a man mindset. I thought that was really good.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard because society tells you like, you know, you have to be in a relationship to be worthy and you feel that way because all your friends are married. And then, you know, everyone asks like, oh, do you think you'll date again? Or do you want to get married again? And so it makes you feel like that's the only thing to do. But I mean, anyone who's been through divorce will tell you that it's not hard to date or meet somebody like, but it is hard to meet the right person for you if you are not confident alone. Um, And that was something I really had to work on because I did not know how to be alone. And I was really excited about being alone when I first got separated. And I wasn't even alone very long. But that time was so sacred to me. But yeah, I mean, the bodysuit story was before I even separated. It was at the tail end of my marriage. And my ex-husband was away for the weekend with friends. And I'm like, you know what, screw it, I'm going out. I was not in a phase where I put myself together very well. I was very like, t-shirt and jeans. And I'm like, I'm just going to spice it up. And I put on like a tight pair of jeans and a bodysuit and I went out and I felt really good. And it made me realize that like, even though I wasn't out on a Saturday night with somebody on my arm, like I was okay. I still had it.
0: Right. I like that. And I think you have to get to that moment where, you know what, screw all this. I still am worth something and I still, I still got it. And I don't care what I've been through, what bad choices. Like, that doesn't define you. And I think that's really important for others to hear when they're at such rock bottom. And I know that you had to learn to do things differently, like going slower. Can you talk about when you met your husband? Because I think that there's some good lessons there, too. Like how you took it like more slow, and if if a relationship feels real,
1: it felt very real very quickly and it was a feeling i had never experienced it was that like love at first sight when you know you know type of thing and i i loved my ex husband and i was so attracted to him and all of those things but the that feeling of like when you know you know was kind of missing so i thought there was something wrong with me and then all of a sudden i meet this person i wasn't even looking for so content in my aloneness and just my independence. And it knocked me off my feet. Like I, I wish you could just bottle that feeling because wow. And I still feel it all the time, by the way, six years later, but I was very scared. Cause I'm like, wait a second. This is like the antithesis of what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Like I met this perfect person for me completely like over the top and head over heels for this person. But how am I going to like take it slow and 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 gauge myself here and really get to know this person the way that I need to. And so what really helped actually was the fact that we're both co-parents. And so I made a commitment to, in the beginning, we only had lunch. His office was right next to mine. We would have lunch every day, and it kept things like casual and it kept things a little bit slow. And you know we would probably only spend one or two nights together every two weeks when I didn't have my daughter and he didn't have his. And so that really helped us slow things down. And as things progressed and I then met his daughter, I stayed committed to giving them their alone time. So it gave me my space too. So I knew what it, now finally knew what it felt like to be in a relationship with someone where I wasn't with them 24 seven. Cause I used to go from zero to 60, like more than one person I moved in with after like two months. That wasn't happening this time. And it was co-parenting that really like, kept us in check and my commitment to his relationship with his daughter. Like I didn't want to suffocate that. It was about a year of us together and fully committed, but also ramping up very slowly. And that felt really good for me and safe. And it really helped me see that, yes, this person is right for me. It wasn't just lust and, you know, attachment.
0: That's good. So the new relationships started in a whole new way. And now you have this beautiful blended family and it all worked out in the end. <laughs> I just think it's so good.
1: Yeah, thank you. I mean, look, blending is a whole other conversation. We put so much time and energy into it, Carrie. Like, we're, I think the work that we've put into it, it's like one of those things, like, hard work really pays off. Like, it's paid off. Like my stepdaughter and I have a relationship that I can't even describe. Like, it's so beautiful. The other day she called me one of her really good friends and she was so grateful that I'm her good friend. And that's exactly what it feels like. There's so much respect and love. My daughter is, you know, she, she doesn't know a life without my husband and, and their relationship is beautiful and connected and safe and comfortable. And It took a lot of time and energy and effort, but we did it. And I'm proud of that.
0: So my last question is, what is something so invaluable that you learned about yourself, either post-divorce, moving on, or dating after divorce that surprised you most about
1: yourself? Trusting your gut. I know that sounds so cliche, but like your gut always knows, always, always knows. Like nobody knows better for you, not your parents, not your therapist, not anybody. Like you always know what's right. And also there is a true value in taking things slowly because in that time you can really see see things clearly. You cannot see anything clearly when you're emotional, emotional in a good way or in a bad way. Attracted to somebody, you got to separate the attraction to really understand if they're right for you. Angry at somebody, you have to separate the emotion before you deal with them appropriately. So slow and steady is probably the best lesson I could have learned.
0: Yeah, I like that. And I like how you say when you get so enraged from a text or something, treat it like a business deal. You don't have to respond to something that doesn't need a response. Exactly. People really lose their power quickly and lose a lot by reacting to emotions.
1: Yep, exactly.
0: That's really, really great advice. So thank you so much for sharing all this with us and all the things you survived and how to get into your power and move on. And that the best days lie ahead. So where can people find out more about
1: you and purchase your amazing book? Sure, my website is com. My Instagram is at the Michelle Dempsey. My podcast is Mom's Moving On and the book is Mom's Moving On as well.
0: That's so great. So definitely check out the Instagram. The Instagram is epic and <laughs> I look at it and like your post every day. <laughs> so I really appreciate your time, Michelle, and coming on Shot at Love.
1: It's my pleasure.
0: And for now, this week's Shot at Love dating tips that are inspired by our guest, author of Moms Moving On, Michelle Dempsey Moltak. Number one, boundaries will be your best friend when moving on from an ex. Boundaries are essential and will protect you from getting sucked into the drama. Number two, no response is a response. You don't have to respond to things that don't need a response. Having the last word only feeds the hate and anger. Number three, Treat your past relationship like a business and take the emotion out of the conversation. Number four, remember diamonds are made under pressure. Trust the process and know better days are coming. I hope you found some of my tips helpful this week. This is what Shot at Love is here for, to help you find love. Keep up the commitment to yourself and commit to helping someone else by sharing this podcast. Stay safe and stay tuned for more episodes. And if you like this show, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. I'm Carrie Brett, and we'll see you next time.